Blog Talk Radio. Swing and a miss! One more time to fire! Watch it fly! And good morning and welcome to a Sunday edition of the Bless You Boys podcast for this Sunday, May the 17th, 2015. I'm your host, Hookslide, and we've got a great show lined up for you today, so pour yourself a chair and pull up a cup of coffee, I guess, and we'll get this ride started. If you're a first-time listener, the Bless You Boys podcast is a feature of the Bless You Boys website, SB Nation's Detroit Tigers blog. Find us on the web at www.blessyouboys.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Bless You Boys, and like us on Facebook, just search for Bless You Boys, click the like button, and you'll have our content in your news feed. Well, of course, the exciting news from the week is that Miguel Cabrera came into the week needing just four home runs to reach career number 400, and, well, he managed to hit four in three days. Take a listen. <laughs> give up many home runs. And it, it shows up, too. Most of the teams in the Central every year. Fly ball, Whoa. left field off the bat of Miguel Cabrera. Watch it fly. Gone. Oh. Way over the Tigers' bullpen in left field. Two-run shot, number seven. And the Tigers have opened up a 7-1 lead. 1-2. Swinging a high fly ball, right field. This one's deep. Going back, Rosario at the fence, leaping up, and it's going a home run! Miguel Cabrera with his second of the day. Second in two innings. Two-run shot. The Tigers are pouring it on. It's 11-1. Cabrera came in hitting 328. Eight home runs, 26 RBIs after the five RBI day yesterday. Molina setting up away. The 1-2. Fly ball, center field, deep. Going back to center fielder, Borges at the fence, leaps, he won't get it! Gone a home run! Miguel Cabrera, two out, two run, home run to straightaway center, two big runs, and the Tigers lead 4 3-2, swing a fly ball, center field, this one's deep, going back, Borges at the warning track, looking up, and it's gone a home run! Amazing. How about it? First chance to hit 400, and Miguel Cabrera delivers in his first at-bat of the day. The all-time leader for a Venezuelan-born player, Miguel Cabrera crosses home plate, giving the Tigers a 1-0 lead. All right, congratulations to Miguel Cabrera on reaching number 400. Of course, that's Dan Dickerson on the call with WXYT and the Detroit Tigers Radio Network. And joining me for today's episode of the podcast is a name you ought to recognize. He's been on the show with us before, a columnist and Tigers beat writer for MLive.com, Mr. Chris Ayat. Welcome back to the BYB podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, excellent. Thanks for having me. 
Yeah, glad you were able to join us. I think we last spoke in, I want to say it was August of last year, as the Tigers were winding up a very close division race. Uh, looking forward to hearing some of your behind-the-scenes thoughts today. Why don't we start right out with the bullpen? And according to a recent Beyond the Box Score website post, I was just reading this the other day, uh, the combination of Soria, Gorzolani, and Nesbitt have taken the Tigers' bullpen from awful to, hey, they're not too bad. So what are your thoughts, Chris, on the 2015 bullpen compared to what we saw last year? You know, I think through 37, however many games they've played to this point, um, you know, about a quarter of the season, it's been better than expected. If you really look at the bullpen, the, you know, of the four right-handers they expected to play the biggest roles, they've gotten contributions from, you know, one of them. Uh, you know, Joe Nathan's gone. Bruce Rondon's not here. Al Albuquerque has not contributed much of anything positive at all to this point. And, uh, you know, Sori has been excellent. Um, but if you if you take those three guys kind of out of a bullpen that you didn't expect to be very good in the first place, and, and they've done what they've done to this point, I think you've got to say that it's it, it's been positive so far, which is, is really strange to say. Part of that is because the, the starting staff has gone so deep in the games. So I, I don't know where the Tigers rank, but the last I looked, they were last in bullpen innings in the majors. Um, and, and one way to hide a weakness kind of is to not use it, and, and they've been, been able to do that. But, you know, Nesbitt's been good. Um, Alex Wilson has been really good. I mean, a lot of these games, the starter goes out. Just like yesterday, um, you know, Price leaves having allowed three runs, and the bullpen didn't allow anything from there on out. And even when they've been behind early, um, you know, when starters been bounced early, you know, Alex Wilson came in the other day and threw something like three and two-thirds of innings of shutout ball and, and, and kept them in game. So, you know, I, I don't know that this is going to last. I don't think it's going to be as good as it has been from this point forward. But so far, it's, it, it, the bullpen's done better than expected. And I guess the future all depends a lot on, on how Bruce Rondon is down the road. Yeah, that's, of course, a big, big question mark there. And as you said, the bullpen's not been uh, terrible. And I think that was the point of the beyond-the-box score piece, is to say last year they were. They were just heads-up awful. Uh, they seem to be, you know, kind of middling this year. And that's, that's uh, you know, that's what you want, I guess, to start the season. But assuming that a quote-unquote not-too-bad bullpen still is not the same thing as a playoff-ready bullpen, uh, do you think that uh, Dave Dombrowski will try to trade for a bullpen piece in July, or will he stick with his internal options? I think Dave Dombrowski always tries to trade for a bullpen piece in July, doesn't he? Um, <laughs> I, I, I think that they will be looking around and, and talking about bullpen pieces. You know, we've got a little time until the trade deadline here, so I guess, you know, the bullpen's doing pretty well, and trades don't generally happen in mid-May, so it's going to be a while anyway. I think, he, I, I think the Tigers have some time to assess what they have. Um, and again, you know, they'll see how, how Bruce Rondon is when he comes back, how he performs when he does get back. Um, you know, they'll see how, how Gorzolani continues to fare. Nesbitt's a big thing, too. I mean, and he's a, he's a good young pitcher, but, you know, he, he hadn't pitched about double A until this year, and, and now he's doing it in the majors. I think I saw yesterday he's inherited 10 runners this year, and not one of them has scored. So I guess, you know, over the next, you know, month or two or two and a half or whatever, you know, they can kind of assess where they are with Rondon and Nesbitt. And if Rondon comes around and, and Nesbitt continues to pitch well and, and Soria is as good as he's been, which I can't see him doing that for the whole year because he's been amazing. Um, I, don't, I don't know. You know, maybe the bullpen isn't a, a massive need at the trade deadline, but, of course, that that is a spot that they, they always look to trade, you know, to, to improve upon. And, and it's 
it's a spot where if you don't need a closer at the trade deadline, you don't have to give up a ton to get an arm, depending on how many teams are, you know, out of the playoffs or, or feeling like they're out of the playoffs at that point. Sure, sure. Like you said, not needing to fill the closer role is is a big bonus. You just have to kind of get somebody for that stretch, you know, from the seventh or eighth inning to get the ball to Joaquin Soria. And you have to wonder, like you said, they, they do seem to want to execute a trade, um, you know, historically speaking. But uh, are there, you know, maybe some internal options? That, I mean, I know obviously the name of Kyle Lobstein has been thrown around. He's been doing spot starts while Verlander's gone. Is that maybe an option? Do the Tigers have enough internally to kind of fill that, that role? Um, in the bullpen, down the, yeah, you know, they feel like they're, they, they went into the season feeling like they were deeper, I think, in, in Toledo and arms. Um, you know, part of that was Alex Wilson. Part of that was Josh Zide. Um, were you speaking about, you know, filling the, the hole in the bullpen? Is that what you're saying? Right, right. Just getting some, uh, maybe yeah. some middle relief, seventh inning, eighth inning help. Yeah, I mean, if they're not looking, if they have Soria in the ninth and Rondon, Nesbitt, Gorzolani, Chamberlain, I guess, if if you want to figure that they'll get the eighth covered, if one of those guys really steps forward and earns that role, then you're not filling a, a, a spot where you have to give up a ton. And, yeah, I mean, internally, you know, they've got even – I don't know if Lobster – I think Lobster is going to go back to Toledo and, and be kind of the, the the backup, the spot starter, so to speak. I think you're more likely to see a guy like Buck Farmer or, or Kyle Ryan, um, speaking of, you know, starting pitchers in Toledo who could come up and, and pitch in the bullpen. And I think that's more likely the deeper you get into the season. I think they want to keep those guys stretched out. But, you know, if and when Verlander comes back um, – and I don't mean to say if because, you know – all assumptions are he will be back. Um, but when Verlander gets back, if, if, if Shane Green's, you know, pitching well and, and everybody's upright, then Lobstein can kind of go back down and be that that sixth starter, so to speak. And then you've got, you know, guys like Farmer and Ryan down there too. That's a good point. And let's just play what if for a second then to say if, if Dombrowski does decide that he wants to go outside the organization at the trade deadline and pick up a bullpen piece. I know it's a couple big what ifs. If he needs to fill the bullpen spot, if he decides to go outside the organization, is there any kind of talk right now, or do you have a gut feeling for who might be the team's best uh, trade chip or chips? I think they're going to trade Stephen Moyer for a sixth inning guy. I'm totally kidding. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I, I think, I think. It's hard to say, but, you know, a lot of people will say, you know, they've traded so much middle in-depth, infield depth, and they've got another guy in Jason Machado who they're trading Jason Machado is that they've traded so much infield depth that he's kind of the guy now. He's kind of the closest guy to the majors as far as middle infield depth goes. The other problem with that is is that the Tigers have a problem in the major at the major league level that if they continue along their current path won't be, uh, won't be solved until something like 2019 is that um, Hernan Perez and Andrew Romine both out of options and under team control, I think both of them through the end of the 2018 season. And mm. right now the Tigers are kind of handcuffed when it comes to their roster because they can't send either one of those guys down. They don't really want to risk losing them. Um, I know Arnaud Perez isn't playing particularly well right now. He's also a young player who gets, you know, in a bat every four days and hardly ever plays in the field. So he's kind of in a bad spot to play well. I don't know what the market is for him right now. But the thing is, is if the Tigers try to send him to Toledo, he's 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 a young guy and he's a prospect and he's not going to clear waivers. Somebody's going to pick him up. Um, so some people mm. would say, well, keep him around and and do that to Romine. Well, Romine's actually played really well this year. You know, he's he's played well defensively. He's 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 hitting the ball. He's been 
good on the bases. I mean, he's kind of a guy in with Iglesias missing some time with um, the groin tightness thing and, and going to need some time off throughout the year because they're just going to not, they're not going to wear him out this season. You know, Romine's kind of been the guy. So I, I don't think he would clear either. And I don't think the Tigers want to lose him. So, you know, right now they could use a left-handed bat off the bench with Avila on the DL, and they really can't go get one yeah. because they, they're kind of stuck with those two middle infielders. And if you trade Dixon Machado and then you you lose one of these guys down the road, then then where are you? Where are you, you, know, where are you? So I really think they have to trade Hernan Perez at some point. Um, mm. I don't know. I, I don't know what they're going to get for him, but I think they have to trade him because I think you have to be locked in like this for another three seasons after this one. And you, you're going to lose him if you try to send him down. So at some point, I think they're going to have to try to get something in return for him. Yeah, and that's, that's a real catch-22, as we were talking a little bit before the show started, that I'm having a hard time imagining any team that wants Hernan Perez's help. But like you said, at the same time, if they push him to the waiver wire, he's he's probably going to get picked up. So, you know, what do you do to solve that? Yeah, you know, and, and the thing is, is, I don't know, you know, I, I – we don't. None of us really know what the Tigers think of their prospects. They're not going to come tell me that they don't think much of a guy because, you know, if I write that, then everybody will know it. But um, I don't know how <laughs> highly exactly they think of Hernan Perez. But if they think that highly of him, then at some point, I guess Romine's got to go. You know, I, I guess I shouldn't say that they have to trade Hernan Perez at some point. But at some point, it, before the deadline, they've got to do something with one of those two. And, and again, I don't know what you're going to get in return, but I, I just don't think they can go on the way they are. With those two on the roster, you know, over the long term, and again, this this situation would not be resolved until one of them hits free agency in like four seasons. It's a long time to wait, and we're talking with uh, M Live beat writer, the Tigers beat writer Chris Iatt here in the Bless You Boys podcast. Chris, let's talk a little bit about the Tigers Royals uh, kind of sort of pennant race that's going on here. They're hanging in there. The Tigers are with a red hot Royals team. They're currently tied for first place in the Central going into tonight's game. And the Tigers are doing this, keeping up, keeping pace with the Royals. They're doing it without Verlander, without Bruce Rondon, without a healthy Victor Martinez. So if they get these missing pieces back up and running, do you see the Central becoming less of a close race? You know, the Tigers establish some dominance, put some distance between them and the Royals, or do you feel like it's going to be a down-to-the-wire race no matter what? You know, it's amazing because I feel like I've written a lot of things kind of critical of the Tigers this year during their offensive struggles. And, you know, we've we've been talking about their bullpen for forever. They're tied for first place. The season's almost a quarter over, and they're tied for first place with one of the best records in the majors. So they've actually done pretty well. And, again, you, you mentioned a lot of guys they're missing. I don't know that they're going to, uh, you know, establish their dominance in the division this season. I, I just don't see either team really running away with it. And, and, and I know they've got some guys that they're missing, but um, – that's just kind of baseball. I mean, when Victor gets back to full health, you know, somebody else might be gone. Um, I don't know. I don't think any of us know what Justin Berlander is going to be like when he gets back. I think they thought he was doing well this spring. Early on when he was healthy, I expected him to be, you know, better than last year for sure um, and not as good as he was a few years ago. But now that he's missed all this time, I mean, he's got he's to go through, you know, rehab assignment, I'm assuming, you know, and by the time he gets back, then then he's going to be starting like it's April. You know, they're going to have to maybe throw him short innings a few times. I, I just don't know what they're going to get out of him over the long run. So I don't know that, you know, you can figure, well, when Verlander gets back, they're going to run away with it or anything. Um, and I don't know how long it's going to be before Victor Martinez is, is normal from the left side of the plate. Um, 
I, I clearly they're giving him this weekend off. I, I, you know, Osmus before each game says he's available, and after each game has said I wasn't going to use him today. And those two things, hmm. th- he's not lying. I mean, I, Victor Martinez is available. <laughs> he's on the roster. He's, yeah. he's on the yeah. he's in the clubhouse and on the bench. He is technically available, um, but he's clearly not using him, and he's clearly not going to use him today. Um, whether that will help, I don't know. You know, Victor's Victor's such a timing guy. You know, if he comes back, maybe that rest helps his knee. You know, maybe maybe being off for four days messes up his timing even more. I don't know. Um, I just don't know mm-hmm. how long it's going to be before he's normal either. So I, I don't know. Um, you know, when he had knee surgery a few years ago, he really wasn't right until after the All-Star break. This was a little less severe because he didn't miss an entire season, but I think he feels like he's on kind of a similar track, and I think it's actually comforting to him that he knows that this happened before, that he struggled in the first half before, and that he came back around and had a good second half. And I think he's you know, kind of hoping that he follows a similar track this year and that he keeps improving. So I don't know. You know, I don't think anybody's going to establish their dominance. I don't think that I – don't, I don't know that it's a two-team race yet. It looks like it right now because nobody, nobody really believes in the Twins, but – you know, the White Sox are kind of coming. If you look at the record over the last 10 days, I don't, I don't know when I have to declare the Indians dead since I picked them to win the division probably stupidly before the <laughs> season. Um, but um, I still think they've got a really good starting rotation. I don't know that they're dead, but, but they probably are on life support pretty soon here if they don't get moving in the right direction. Um, so I don't know that it's a Royals-Tigers thing that either one of them is going to establish their dominance. I think those are two pretty good teams, and, and you can see somebody else get back into it before it's all done. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point to kind of widen that perspective a little bit and say it may not be Tigers-Royals. A lot of things can happen between now and the end of the season. Injuries can happen. Trades can happen. The, the whole you know composition of a team can change in a matter of weeks. It'll just be very interesting to see, uh, you know, kind of looking at, as I pointed out, the way the Tigers have hung in there, you know, this far, and they're doing it without, without some of their, you know, you know, obviously Victor Martinez, one of the big bats in the lineup, without Justin Verlander, one of their, you know, aces in the in the rotation. So, just be very curious to see when those pieces, if and when they fall into place, if that uh, if that gives the Tigers just that little bit of an edge. Now, Chris, you reported in an MLive analysis piece earlier this week, uh, you'd quoted Brad Osmus as describing the offense as anemic lately. Uh, those were Brad's words. And so then the Tigers came back out on Thursday and put up 13 runs against the Twins. They came back out on Friday, put up 10 runs against the Cardinals. Would you say they're out of the woods now, or are there still some things that need to happen to get that offense fully back on track? Uh, I don't know if they're out of the woods. I don't know if they were ever totally in the woods. It's funny, when, when you ask players during a, a, a offensive struggle what's going on, they'll be like, you know, it's baseball, we're going to get out of it. And then after they get out of it, people are like, we see, we weren't going to be in it all year. Well, no one said they were going to be in that phone mm-hmm. all year, but they weren't. They weren't scoring runs. I mean, they scored two or fewer runs in almost half their games, you know, through, I think, Wednesday um, for the season. So I don't know that they're totally out of it. Um, getting Victor back and healthy, you know, especially against right-handers, would, would help that be so. Um, they have scored runs over the past past few days at a pretty good pace. Um, I don't know. We'll see if they're out of it. But just as soon as they get out of it, they might be right back in it because it's it's baseball. I mean, those those kind of things happen. I think I think things stand out more when they happen early in the season because you don't have 
the early part of the season to lean back on. I don't know if that makes any sense. You know, if you win your first, if you lose your first eight of the season, it 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 looks horrible. Where if you lose hmm. eight in June when you're up four games in the division, it doesn't look as bad. You know, I kind of go back to the, I don't know what year it was, but if you look on baseball reference, I think you'll find a year where Brian Rayburn and Brennan Bosch ended up in about the same place. And Bosch was awesome in the first half, and Rayburn was horrible in the first half. And if you ask fans assessment of those seasons, they'll tell you two very different things, but they ended up in the same place. And so I, I think when you see the Tigers, you know, struggling to score runs early in the season, people freak out a little more than, than if they got off to a good start and, and maybe struggled in, in June or July. I don't know if I'm making any sense. Um, no, that does. That makes so sense. I, I just think it's kind of baseball. You know, are they out of it? Maybe, but give them three weeks and they might be right back in it because, you know, that's just kind of the way it goes. So, um, right now, it looks like J.D. Martinez is out of it because he's 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 walking at a pace he's probably never walked at before because he's not swinging at pitches out of the strike zone, and pitches are still throwing him pitches out of the strike zone because for you know a week or two there he was he was swinging at a lot of things. Um, yeah, you know Cabrera has been oddly bad at night. Um, the day night splits for this team are absolutely puzzling. If you look at it, they're one of the best. I think they're the best team in the majors during the day. I would say something like 28th or 29th in the entire majors at night, and that includes NL teams that have pitchers batting. So, you know, mm. you can say that they've got to shape shape up at night and get better at night, but I don't know how you do that. I think you just keep playing and, and things even out over the long haul. I don't know that there's anything they're doing wrong at night or anything you can change about how they do at night. Um, you know, it, it's not something you can control. So I think you're just going to see that even off over the course of the season. If they're still first in the majors in day games and 28th in the majors in night games in, in September, then I don't know. I guess I'll have to do some more research to try to figure out how that happens. But um, <laughs> I, I don't think I don't think that's I don't think that's a long term thing. I think it'll even out, and uh, I, I just think it's it's been kind of baffling to this degree. Sure, sure. And the, the day and night splits are interesting, like you said. I, it's funny to look into the possible reasons for that, and you could say, well, it's. You know, it's still only mid-May, and at night it's obviously colder. Maybe it's harder to hit. I don't know, you know, in the colder weather. But I, I find you it know, interesting that, that anybody really can make – go ahead. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I, I, I hear that defense a lot. I hear a lot of people say it's colder at night, it's warmer in the day. But the, the, if you look at the opposing team, the teams the Tigers are playing in those exact same games, those teams are hitting better at night than during the day. Um, it, it doesn't hold water. And if, if it was a league-wide issue – you know, the, all of the batting averages would be lower at night because it's colder, at, at least in, you know, the cold weather cities. But the tight, when, you're, when you're comparing the Tigers to other teams, they're first in day games and almost last in night games. It's not like they're playing night games that other teams aren't playing. You know what I'm saying? So I can <laughs> understand right. if, if, in, if in April maybe the batting averages are a little lower at night for the Tigers than they are during the day. But they shouldn't adjust. It shouldn't affect where they rank in the majors in, that, in, that, in those categories. Everyone should have to deal with that. And um, the, the, like I said, the opposing teams are, are hitting the ball better at night in those same games against the Tigers. So, so you know, could that play a part of it? It could play a small role in it. But I think the bigger, the thing that plays the biggest role in it is just fluke. I mean, it's just a weird, it's just a weird thing, and I think it'll even out over the long haul. Yeah, it, the fluke is the big thing. Like you said, it, it's baseball. It kind of goes, you know, up and down and ebbs and flows and things like that. And it, I, I think the of all the pieces to worry about on the Detroit Tigers right now, if you talk about starting pitching, bullpen, offense, offense is probably the least, you know, or should be the least concerning thing. Because if you look at that lineup, it's stacked. 
you know, from Kinsler to Cabrera to the two Martinez, you got Cespedes in there. I'll even include Nick Castellanos. It's like, you know, it's like having nine cards on the table. And if even two of those come up aces at any given point during a game, you've got a pretty good offense. So it really does seem like it's just a matter of, you know, getting a couple of those pieces uh, performing, you know, every game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, two through two through seven, I guess you, you, you've got to figure over the long haul are, are going to be really good. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know that Ghost and Iglesias are going to hit 350 for the whole season like they are. I'm actually quite certain they're not. Um, and it's funny because mm-hmm. the, the days they blow up offensively are the days that those guys have three or four hits. Um, so, but yeah, two through seven, you know, it's a, it's a pretty good lineup. So you got to figure over the over the course of 162 games that that probably should be really the least of your worries, like you said. Yeah. Now we're talking Tigers baseball with Chris Ayat, Tigers beat writer with MLive.com. Let's move on to the most recent news on Alex Avila. As you wrote on MLive earlier this week, uh, he believes he can avoid having knee surgery. Sounds like he's going to take a different path to rehab. Uh, What do you see, Chris, as the potential risks and benefits in that decision? You know, I'm not a doctor. I'm barely a sports writer. Um, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what to to say when people ask me medical questions. I, I will say this. And again, I don't know anything medically, okay? But if I were a catcher heading into free agency, I'd probably get my knee fixed. Um, I, I mm-hmm. don't know. I, I, Alex has basically said I'm, I'm trying to balance, you know, short-term and long-term here, trying to get back on the field, but also, you know, take care of it for the future. But again, I, I don't, you know, it, it was a loose body. It appeared to be. It was a loose body. I don't know if it was loose bodies, but they said it was a loose body in his knee. Um, it seemed 100% certain he was going to have surgery. Then they came back and said, well, they're not sure it's loose. Um, I don't know what's going on in Alex Avila's knee. Uh, I hmm. think I think he's going to be back sooner with this course of action on the field than he would have would be if he had surgery. But I would also think that if you have surgery, then you've kind of got rid of the problem. And I think if you don't have surgery, you know, you're risking that the problem can come back to bite you later. Um, it's kind of a, do you want to pay the price now or, or possibly later? And again, I, I don't know anything about medicine. So I, I hate to even start yeah. speculating about this stuff. Um, but I, I think they're, they're, they're assuming you'll be back on the field sooner um, this way. And, and they haven't really, you know, discussed a time frame and, and I hit the road a few days ago, so I've kind of lost touch with Alex. Um, he's not—I haven't seen him here, so I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm 98% certain he's not here. So um, that's, that's something that we'll we'll keep an eye on. But um, I don't even really know the time frame at this point. But um, you know, I think over the long haul, they're they're obviously a better team with with Alex Avila as one of the two catchers. I mean, over the long haul, meaning the course of the season for sure. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when I talk about the potential risks and benefits, I, I, let me kind of uh, clarify and sharpen that a little bit. I'm not necessarily speaking about the medical risks and benefits, but I think it's, it's like you said, it's uh, do you want to be without him now or be without him later? So if he goes uh, ahead and gets the surgery, and that basically puts him out, you know, out of play for the rest of 2015, versus uh, he follows a different uh, rehab path and gets on the field in 2015, but then potentially, you know, you don't have him after that. Of course, as you mentioned in the in the article, he's going into, uh, you know, free agency. So the question, I guess, is, you know, can the Tigers afford to play without Alex Avila this year? Is is the combination of McCann and Holiday enough to kind of fill that so you don't feel that loss? 
And thinking again more long-term, do you see the Tigers pursuing Avila as their full-time catcher for 2016 and beyond? I'm going to forget your two questions because I'm going to go back to something else real quick. I, I don't know that okay. the, the knee surgery the knee surgery would have been season-ending, and I asked that question specifically, and people ah. told me no. Um, I don't know the time okay. frame. I heard four to six. I heard six to eight. Um, and, and if it was truly four to six or six to eight, you got to assume he's going to be back even sooner than that without having the surgery. Um, I, I, uh, the Tigers are a better team with Alex Avila for 2015. And I, I know he has his critics. Um, and, and I don't want to get into the nebulous argument of handling pitchers and, and defense statistics and framing and all that stuff because we could be here all day. But even offensively, <laughs> even offensively, uh, he hits right-handers or gets on base against right-handers better than James McCann or Brian Holiday are going to. It's just when you look at the numbers at the end of the year, and, and even now, I haven't looked at the numbers in a few days, but I believe Alex Avila against right-handers um, had an OPS around 804 for the season. Hmm. Uh, Brian Holiday and James McCann are not going to have an 800 OPS against right-handers this season. I just don't see it happening. No. So, you know, you, you can you can complain about his strikeouts, and he does strike out a ton. But he gets on base. He's got a little pop in his bat. They're going to miss him against right-handers. So, um, hmm. you know, will they pursue him in the offseason? To be honest, I don't think I, – I think they're going to – I think they're going to move on. I think that he's, you know, making five-point-something million this year. Um, I think – the Tigers have to find some cost savings, so to speak, at some positions since their payroll is so high. I think this is a good test for James McCann. I think they, I think they headed into the the season, and actually, I think the plan last season was, you know, we're going to leave McCann in Toledo all year in 2014, get him a ton of at bats. 2015, I think they went into the off season knowing he was going to be the guy to to share time with Avila. We're going to give him a good run and see what we have, and then we can reassess in the, in the off season to see what we need. You know, do they need do they need a, a guy to hit left-handed part-time? Do they need a, a veteran? Can they get by with McCann as the main starter next season? But I, I just, I don't see Avila coming back. It's 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 possible, um, depending on what he's looking for in a contract, and and basically, you know, considering how healthy he'll be the rest of the season and what he can show. But I really think that next season you're going to see James McCann and somebody. I just don't know who, but I think James McCann is going to be the 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 the, the main catcher in uh in 2016 wow wow surprised to hear that um because you know i'm not really sure necessarily even what i think about it but i think you're the first person i've heard so far say that the you know probably a definite no it'll be interesting to see then if that's if you're correct and they're not going to pursue avila uh, in 2016 this, this could be an interesting kind of foretaste with him out of the lineup to see you know how well mccann can perform you know as sort of that uh more or less full-time guy i think if you're the tigers you 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 hope for, and again, I, I don't want to harp on cost savings, but the Tigers do have a high payroll, and you've got to mix in some young guys who are under team control who you don't have to pay a ton for a few years. And I think the two places, in it potentially, and I say potentially with the capital potentially, um, where you could save <laughs> some money is behind the plate and in a corner outfield spot. I just think the Tigers are really hoping McCann proves he can handle the everyday catching duties and I think they've been really hoping and will continue to hope that Stephen Moya can prove that he's ready to play in a corner spot next year because I think uh, Cespedes is going to get paid this offseason. I think he's going to get absolutely paid, and I don't know if the Tigers are going to pay him that what he's going to be able to get on the open market. We saw last offseason 
you know, the supply and demand for, for a guy who can hit. Um, there's a lot of teams looking for a guy who can hit. And, and I just think that Cespedes is going to get paid this offseason. So I think if and, – and Moya's not doing very well so far. If you look at the numbers I looked last night, I think his OPS is right. under 600. He's, he struck out 25 times in 76 at-bats. Um, he's not doing well in Toledo. And I think he's a guy who, who's going to strike out, you know, a lot probably forever, not at this pace. I think they expect him to be a kind of a, a guy who will strike out. But I, I definitely think they want him to cut back on it. But I, I don't know what they're going to do with those two spots, but I think the hope with the Tigers is that, you know, maybe those are two spots that we can we can not have to overspend to fill, and hmm. maybe we can plug some young players in for, you know, for several years. Hmm. Very interesting. So as we start to wind down this podcast, Chris, I wanted to kind of shift more towards the managerial side of things. And I know you've spent a fair amount of time uh, behind the scenes with Brad Osmus this year, as you did last year. Uh, the question I think people are asking is, and I want to get it from your kind of insider's perspective. Are you seeing any differences this year in 2015 from 2014? Now, I'm not talking about management style per se, but just, you know, in your, in your personal interactions, it, it, in his concept, he any you know kind of differences personally. Um, not a, not a ton, I would say. I think he's I think he's more confident in his second season, but I think that's I think that's natural. I mean, I think last year he came into spring training really not even knowing you know not even knowing the players. Um, hmm. I mean, I mean, we talked to him yesterday, yesterday the day before about Omar Vizquel. Before he hired him as first base coach, he, he didn't even really know him. I mean, even his own staff, he kind of was getting to know. So I think that it's, I think that it's natural that a guy would have a you know more confidence in his second season than in his first season. Now, how much of that I see, I don't know because one thing Osmus did a really good job of last year in his first season was kind of, you know, acting. I mean, it, it, we asked him a ton of times, you know, what surprised you the most in spring training, and he he inevitably said nothing. Um, and that can't possibly be true. Um, you know, he, he, he acted as if there were no new situations that he didn't expect, you know, no surprises, either, you know, and some of that's true because he, he'd been, I mean, it's not like they got him off the street. He spent some time in the major leagues um, as a player. Uh, but I, the one thing I think in, in spring training, I think I, maybe it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But when he announced that Price was going to be the opening day starter over Justin Verlander, I thought that was that was something that, you know, he – I don't know. I don't want to say he put this stamp on this team or be dramatic or something, but I thought that was kind of a big deal that, you know, he told kind of the guy, you know, former Cy Young winner, former MVP, face of the organization, you know, you're going to start on, in game two. And, and obviously it didn't end up happening. It didn't end up mattering because Verlander isn't pitched mm-hmm. yet. But um, I thought there was actually kind of a compelling debate to be had about who should start opening day based on, you know, Price going to be a free agent in the next offseason um, and kind of Verlander's stature on the team. And I don't know. I thought that was kind of a, I thought that was kind of a big deal at the time. And maybe in hindsight it wasn't. Justin handled it really well. Um, but I think he's, I think he's more confident. But again, I, I don't, I, you know, I don't have a million examples of, of why, I, why I would say so. I just think it's kind of a, a natural progression that a guy goes through, from, from year one to year two. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, like you said, going into the second year, he's going to know a little bit more, a little more confidence. He's been through, you know, a season with the team and taken them to a division title, 
Um, so, yeah, I was just kind of curious, you know, more from a personal interaction piece to say, you know, is, is he obviously, you know, handling the questions better, um, you know, a little bit. He seemed a little bit defensive to me last year in some of those press conferences, and I haven't necessarily seen as much of that this year where he's not necessarily sort of, you know, uh, feeling like he really has to defend his, his territory. Um, and maybe he's uh, he's interesting in, in press conferences. He's he's like a lot of managers, or, or at least like the managers I've dealt with in that he, I think he likes it better when the cameras are off. I think, I think uh I think Jim Leland was kind of the same way. Like there's a certain comfort level um when you're not on camera. You know, so if you I don't know, maybe if you say something wrong you can kinda of correct yourself and there's not images flying all over the world. Um when he when he gets when he gets short when he gives short kind of snarky answers, I think he's either annoyed by his team or annoyed by the question. Um and sometimes he gives short, snarky answers when he can't answer the question honestly, I don't know if that makes sense. Like if if, if somebody just totally blows it, and he's really upset with his player, he, he's not going to go into a press conference and say this guy was terrible. I mean, that's just not what a manager mm-hmm. should do. So if you ask him a question, sometimes I think, you know, I think sometimes if he gives you a really snarky short response, it's because it's something that he's not going to he's not going to get into. Whether he's upset about it, whether he can't talk about it, whatever. Um, yeah, I, I don't know that he's he's been defensive anymore or any less um, this season, but I also think you see that more when the season drags on too. Um, sure, I think some of that defensiveness was kind of during that long, long stretch where they didn't play very well. So you know, we'll see how he is in June or July after we've asked him the same <laughs> question two or three hundred times. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the takeaway is that maybe Brad Osmus is not necessarily enough defensive, but maybe, maybe the uh, press guys are learning how to phrase the questions better. Is that what? You- no, 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 no. I think I think we're all right. I'm I kidding. Think, you know, no. But over the course of the season, literally, I'm in Brad Ossis's office, starting in spring training to the end of the playoffs. I'm in his office like 300 times a year. I'm just estimating, but I don't think that's too far off. Like I, I think sometimes the press and I'm, and I'm big league manager. I always say it's kind of like an arranged marriage. Like none of us really chose each other, but we're kind of stuck with each other. And every huh. once in a while, somebody wants a divorce. You know, at some point in the season, it's like, I'm kind of <laughs> sick of seeing you. So that happens over the course of the season. But but the thing about a manager, too, it, it, one thing I will say Brad deals with better this year than last year is the fact that you do answer the same question a million times as a manager. When you go on the road, hmm. other writers come in. You know, we'll ask a question the next day. A national writer will come in and ask the same question. And last year, Brad was like, once he answered a question once, I think he was kind of like, well, we already covered this. And I think this hmm. year he, he he does understand that yeah, I'm going to get asked, asked the same thing, you know, a zillion times. And I've just got to get, you know, I've just got to answer it a zillion times. Hmm. Fun to get that kind of inside perspective. And uh, Chris, I really appreciate you stopping by to talk with us on the show today. Uh, would you tell our listeners where they can find you online? Um, everything I write is at mlive.com slash tigers. And um, on Twitter, I'm at Chris underscore I-O-T-T. It's not L-O-T-T. It's I-O-T-T. So that's where you can find me. All right. Thanks, Chris, for stopping by. I hope to see you again real soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me. And that's going to do it for another episode of the Bless You Boys podcast. Thanks again to Chris Iatt for joining me on the show today. As he mentioned, you can find his writings at MLive.com, and you can also follow Chris on Twitter at Chris underscore Iatt. That's Chris underscore I-O-T-T. 
You can follow me on Twitter at HookslideBYB for more Dan Dickerson audio clips or get in touch with me by email at HookslideBYB at gmail.com. And that's going to do it from the virtual studio in West Michigan for today. We will see you next week on the Blushy Boys podcast. There's never been a corner like Michigan and Trumbull. Ha ha ha, that'll get him out of the old ballpark.